Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Steph and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast and I'm going to get straight to it. This is episode three of our business series, Talking to Founders. It's eight years this month since I started thoughtful gift company, Don't Buy Her Flowers. So I wanted to find out how other people in different sectors are doing it. And today it's hospitality. So my guest is James O'Hara, whose career in hospitality began with a club night he put on with his mates in Sheffield. And then his first bar opening when he was just 26, which he says was a total disaster, but a massive learning experience. He's gone on to open many bars and venues. He also co-founded Tramlines, the 45,000 capacity Sheffield festival, which he sold in 2020. James talks about being inspired by successful friends to do something outside of what was expected of him as a lad from Sheffield. We talk about the challenge of managing people and the buzz of seeing staff develop and step up to do their own things. We also talk inevitably about COVID, which I don't think you can avoid if you're talking about hospitality. And what James has identified as a kind of silver lining to it, really, um, this really awful time, but it gave him the space to remember his why when he actually couldn't be at work. Um, I think he has a quiet confidence that seems to be really necessary for founders, which he joked can come across as arrogance, but I think he just comes across as being really clear on what he wants to do. And it's proven out as along with his partners, they've identified venues and vibes that have really worked, that his customers want, it's evolved over time since starting that first club night. And just a small interruption to say that this business series is sponsored by Natural Mat, an organic bed and mattress company who use exclusively natural, organic and sustainable material and make mattresses and beddings for grown-ups and babies and kids, all handmade in Devon. You can learn more about what they do by visiting naturalmat.co.uk or visiting their showrooms in London, the Cotswolds or Devon. And as an exclusive for us, if you use the code DBHF15, you can get 15% off your first order, which is valid up until the 31st of January. Now, back to James. I started this conversation with asking James about his businesses, of which there are many. So, you've got a lot of businesses. Yeah, I've got one called Public, which is a little cocktail bar. The Public is the one that was a toilet. It was a toilet. And I mean, it was a real toilet as well. Like, Under a town hall? Yep. Mm. No one had been in it for 14 years. Shit. Well, shit. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> it was gross, yeah. And I remember going down with a couple of like really trusted people, like a designer called Nick Deakin, who I've, wor- who I've worked with loads, and a photographer called India Hobson, who I've worked with loads. And they just sort of both looked at me like, 
what are you doing? That would make me think it's quite a small space. It's ridiculously small, yeah. And then we've got the Great Gatsby, Picture House Social. We've got two museum and gallery cafes called Ambulo. I just recently bought Callum Island Brewery, a really kind of old, storied brewery in Sheffield. It was, it was the first independent brewery in Sheffield for over 100 years. Right. Um, and, and obviously, because of COVID, it got into a lot of trouble and went into liquidation. So me and a group of people kind of stepped in and, uh, and rescued that, which has been amazing. And then since kind of starting between whenever I started 15, 16 years ago to now, I also started a festival called, it was the co-founder of Tramlines, which started as a kind of city centre, kind of Camden Crawley type thing, and then developed into this big kind of 45,000 capacity festival. But I sold that in 2020. Right, okay. So you're focused on the bars. And before you did that, you started a club night. Was that the beginning of this main part of your career yeah it was really I, I went to university and did a degree in biology which has proved um <laughs> really useful. pointless yeah. um, and then I came back and did like I basically like reeled off every cliched Sheffield job so I worked in a steelworks because of course I did and then I worked at Bassett Sweet Factory making licorice also <laughs> because yeah. of course you do that as well and then I worked in a toilet roll factory making toilet rolls wow um Alongside this, I'd started DJing when I went to university in Newcastle, just as a kind of messing around, really. I've always been into music. And then, yeah, three of us just started a club night, which I think was 2006, maybe. But that kind of kick-started the hospitality thing, really. We kind of did something at the time that felt quite counterintuitive, I think. At that time, all the club nights had a kind of defined genre. Mm. So if you were going to a house music night, it, it just played house music. If you were going to hip-hop night, it played hip-hop music. If you were going to the lead mill in Sheffield for a Saturday night indie night, it was all indie music. But it was all around the time of like Pirate Bay and LimeWire and everyone downloading music and being able to listen, well, essentially illegally, I guess, mm. but being able to listen to whatever they wanted to. So everyone's listening habits were totally out of step with the club nights right. in that everyone's kind of musical taste was so much broader than what the nights offered. Yeah. As like the naivety of youth, we were just like, well, why don't we just do a club night where we play what we want? And we did. And it just kind of, it kind of worked. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. People loved it. People liked that they could come down and hear really unexpected stuff. Um, and that what kicked it off. Yeah. So from there, the first bar and the festival came within probably maybe three, three years of starting the club night. And, and what, what was, which was your first bar? So that was called the Bowery, which was. Oh, this is the one where you said you learned a load. Well, it, was, it was a complete disaster, yeah. <laughs> Total unremitting disaster. 26, I think we were, which is probably too young. Were you also doing all the entertainment and the drinking and the. whilst trying to run a business? Yeah. 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 Which is not, not very sensible, really. <laughs> but then, I mean, that's it, isn't it? You, you get, it can go one or two ways, I think, and, and I see it amongst other hospitality owners, really. At that age, it's obviously, it was just the most fun in the world and you think you're invincible and you can just kind of burn the candle at both ends and expect to be able to pull it off. But actually, barely anyone paid for a drink in that place because everyone was like your best friend, which is not very good. And we were just too young, really. And there was loads of things wrong with the building and we did our accounts back. Basically, everything you can do wrong with a business, we did wrong with that first one and within three years it was done. But none of you had any experience, right? So it was like, did you go to anyone for any experience or did you just go, I reckon we can do this? 
Well, yeah, in a typically very kind of arrogant male <laughs> way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. we'll be fine. Yeah. And we weren't. Um, and how, how can I ask how you funded that first bit? DJ money. Right, okay. So you all yeah. put money in? Yep. Okay, yeah. Did, but you didn't get you didn't have to go externally? No, no. In fact, a few friends chipped in as well, actually. Yeah, a few yeah. friends chipped in. Yeah, it was a bit of a team effort, really. I mean, it was a, an interesting period in Sheffield sort of culture anyway, because we were all hanging around together and it was the early days of the Arctic Monkeys and Milburn and Reverend and the Makers and all that kind of explosion of music in kind of mid-noughties in Sheffield. Mm. And that was really emboldening in a way. You know, you saw your friends doing these amazing things. Whereas, you know, three years before it was kind of 40 people watching them in the boardwalk. And then yeah. three years later, the headline in Glastonbury. That's a pretty inspiring thing to see see your friends do. I found that unbelievably inspiring and still do, actually. I think, you know, watching their journey and what's happened to them has been a kind of constantly inspiring thing, really. And I think when you're from a city like Sheffield, you sometimes need something like that that's really kind of in your face and kind of takes your blinkers off of what's actually possible i.e mm. you know you don't have to go and do the normal job that you know i didn't have to go and work in a lab with my biology degree pipetting into tubes for nine hours a day if i didn't want to <laughs> but so also it's the whole like the the phrase you cannot be what you cannot see like 100%. Which and it is it's so true. You can see it. I've got three kids. You can see it in there. Just things that they're picking up. All the way they talk about everything, but like gender and sexuality. Like they're seeing all these different things happening, yeah. and that just gives you a completely different outlook. So if you've got mates who are like absolutely smashing it, that makes sense. But like it's interesting that prior to that you'd gone down in like a really sort of a more traditional route, thinking, yeah. "Well, this is just yeah. what you do." Well, yeah. I mean. Again, I sometimes think this has changed a lot, actually, with university fees. I'm 40 now, so I went to uni in the year 2000, I think. Yeah, I went 99, yeah. And didn't really cost anything. So yeah, like... I've only just paid off my fucking student loan. Oh, yeah, I haven't I... paid mine. <laughs> I've just, I got it last week, done, 20 years. Like, oh, my God. I sort of mean the immediate money, not the loan. That was kind of like... It felt pretend money anyway. But in terms of being able to kind of go as a working class kid to university and survive, it wasn't difficult. You just went mm. and like, it was miles cheaper than it is now. Mm. Uh, I went to a city like Newcastle, which was, you know, affordable and got a job and went to uni. Felt like you just did your GCSEs, then you did your A-levels, the form came round, you picked six cities that you vaguely liked. You know, like my, I just went, li- literally picked football teams. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Newcastle, Liverpool, Manchester. That'll do. That'll yeah, see, now I think they have to much more carefully because it, they're, they're going to come away with like 40 grand of debt. Yep. You you can't do that now, can you? No, God. my goddaughter's just started at um, Richmond University in London and, right. you know, had to be very, very sure that that's what she wanted to do because yeah. it would be a very expensive mistake now. Yeah, or do it for six months and then change. Like, no, you can't do that now. No. So the Barry didn't go so well. But then how long before you then went on to the next place? There was an overlap, actually. Right. There was like a, maybe a nine-month overlap. I think I could see that the Bowery was kind of on life support, if that makes sense. And another opportunity came up. This was the Great Gatsby. It had been four different things in 10 years. You know, right. someone had tried to do it, it had failed. Someone had tried to do it, it had failed. And that happens a lot with bars and pubs, though, right? Yeah. And it's all about the offering, really. And I think... A lot of people looked at that site and were like, oh, you know, it's cursed. You can't do anything with that. Even the landlords who owned the building, we kind of bullishly said, look, 
if you give it us for six months and we prove we can make it work, then we'll sign a lease. So they gave it us for a pound a week. Amazing. And we spent six, two of us, me and James, my business partner, who was my my business partner in pretty much all the bars, spent £600 each. And that was our investment into the Gatsby. Jim bought some blinds and I bought some decks and that was it. Amazing. Yeah. And did it look all right when you first opened? (laughs) Awful. (laughs) I looked at some pictures the other day. I mean, it was proper held together by like sellotape, but it had a vibe and we knew the music would be good. And we kind of had a bit of a following in the city because of the club night and the other bar. So people knew we could kind of throw a party, if that makes sense. Mm. The decor of it didn't make a huge amount of difference. You know, when all the lights are off and the music's loud, I think everyone kind of got on board with it, really. I suppose the fact you were young means that you were closer to your customers than maybe some people who are buying and starting bars and pubs who are doing it much later. So you you were still living the same as them, right? It was a huge strength. We, we knew who our customers were because we were them. Yeah. And actually, the trajectory of our bars is quite interesting in that we just consistently did things that we wanted to go to mm-hmm. up until relatively recently. Gatsby was 3 a.m. license at weekends, loud music, pretty much a party bar and we were we were in as let's say mid 20s late 20s early 30s we did picture house social which was a live music room a pizza parlor just just that little bit more grown up we were kind of satisfying our own itches and our own urges we were like well we haven't really got this in the city and we'd like to go to it so maybe we should do it nice and then after that came public which is the cocktail bar which again is kind of another step more grown up um, getting more sophisticated as you go exactly as our kind of <laughs> tastes developed yeah yeah so we were, his own, we were his own customer base really yeah now that's where the staff come in really mm. if I walk into the Great Gatsby at kind of half ten on a Saturday night now I just turn around and leave <laughs> I'm just too old you know like <laughs> walking I'm like oh right they're playing UK Garage and I can't hear myself think I'm like it's time to leave <laughs> So you have you work with friends, right? Everything I've ever done is never alone. It's always really collaborative. So me and Jim own all the bars together. Uh, I have another business partner called Joe Cribler, another one called Pina, which I forgot to mention. That's like a Mexican bar slash restaurant. I mean, that's a really lovely thing. Joe started with us as a glass collector mm. at the Gatsby, worked his way up, became the manager, moved to another bar in Leeds, opened his own bar, wanted to open his own place and came back to Sheffield and now owns his own place, having started as a glass collector for us 10 years ago. Nice. Which is kind of the most fulfilling thing about doing this job, really, I think. I was going to say, is that one of the biggest buzzes? It's amazing. There's two other lads, um, Jack and Ronnie, who started with me at Public and now own what I think is the best restaurant in Sheffield, Bench. Right. Nice. And they can't, you know, and they started and they kind of, I think they saw that with me and my business partner, Jim, we're relatively kind of approachable, normal people. Mm. And I think it made like business ownership look achievable. And mm. we talked really honestly with them. And also we were really encouraging and we didn't kind of gatekeep any of it. There's room surely in your industry. for In, in our industry. city. We aren't Manchester and Leeds. It's quite insular in quite a nice way. Mm. But it needs people like Jack and Ronnie and other entrepreneurs to see that it's possible and to add more things. And watching them do that was amazing. You know, they were in the Observer Food Monthly Guide last week and, you know, after a year after being open and watching their kind of success is amazing, really. Beautiful. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Does it come quite naturally, do you think, to you, to like managing people? Because I think as a business owner, that first bit when it's you and a couple of other people and it's like all hands in and everyone does whatever you need to do. And then as it gets bigger, everyone has more specific roles. And then it's the managing of people becomes a massive part of the job. And it's hard, I think. Was that something you had to learn? Did you get like get better at it or... Is that kind of quite natural? Do you know what? I think almost, this might be a bit of a depressing answer, this. But <laughs> at first, everyone was my friend. Mm. And when you're a little tight team, that's amazing. Because mm. it just means that everyone's pulling in the same direction. Everyone's kind of emotionally involved. But now we've got... It's like knocking on 100 staff now, so that's impossible. But I actually, I maybe, I maybe made a conscious decision as well to kind of not become such good friends with people. Because... Mm. It meant when people left or you had to sack someone, you know, which happened. Yeah. Who was a really, really good friend. That is horrible. Um, and you, and I suppose you have to do it because you've got to protect the wider business and all the other people in it, right? So yeah. You've got to have red lines, haven't you, even if they are your best friends. And also, hospitality is a funny industry. You know, there's a lot of drinking. <laughs> Less so. It's becoming a lot more mindful and we're doing a lot more work around kind of mental health and physical health for your team yeah is there a difference now with the like 20 whatever year olds and the amount that they're drinking and going out compared to 
when we were that age. Hugely different, yeah. They are much right. more mindful of... Do you know what I think it is as well? I've just kind of um, thought about this. I think because of the advent of everyone having a camera in their pocket, people are really conscious of how they behave in public. And I remember... Oh, that's so sad. Isn't it? Isn't it? But I remember some of the states at university who used to play in. <laughs> Yeah. We can see you in here. I saw a kid walking down the corridor with a mobile drip in his arm. He'd got like he'd got like alcohol poisoning after a week. I was like, wow, he's like gone for it. You know, he's almost like he's a legend. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, but oh, now, yeah, and also, is that if someone fell asleep on the sofa, you would cover them in stuff and yeah, yeah. chips up that, like all that. Yeah, but now no, someone's videoing you, so it's yeah, yeah. They're much and, more and, mindful of how they behave. I think heavy heavy drinking is not seen as being a kind of cool thing. Mm. The young staff I employ are much more mindful. They like, you know, they like, they do like going out, but nowhere near to the extent that it was when we were younger, I think. Um, well, me- yeah. Which is a really good thing. And they're also much more conscious of their own kind of mental health. And if they're getting near to feeling kind of burnt out, a lot of them are quite comfortable in talking about it, which is amazing. They don't just mm. bottle it up. They will actually come forward and talk to someone, which is mm. exactly what you want. Yeah. The people are the best and the worst bit about the job. Like when you see their success, that's amazing. But when you have to sack someone, that's the worst bit. And it is the. I mean, I think especially hospitality is it is essentially a people focused business. Is it hard at the moment? I mean, I know just from anecdotally or going into bars or restaurants and stuff, and just there's just less staff. And obviously, COVID would have had a huge impact, which we haven't even touched on. But what's that done for you guys for where you are now with? Difficult, definitely. I mean, the biggest area we've found it in is uh, kitchens. Right. Really, really hard to find chefs. And then I guess at the minute, without making this too doom and gloom, the energy bills are insane. Well, and you've got numerous sites, right? So, I mean, again, my brother's hub has gone from something like two to four grand a month to 12 grand he's expecting. Yeah. How do you even begin to claw that back? I think we've done three price increases so far this year across the bars and we are kind of concerned that another one just won't fly, if that makes sense. Yeah. The rent at Picture House Social, for example, the energy bill is now more than the rent, which just seems insane. You know, we're paying more for the energy we use than the building. It's funny, it's a resilient sector anyway, and I think COVID showed that. I think perhaps more than any other sector, it was forced to swap and change I mean, I've actually lost count. Someone said to me, do you remember like eat out to help out? I was like, oh yeah, remember that, <laughs> that three weeks where everything was going to be fine. And then, and then and forward, and it was like, sunny. And closed again. It's like, uh, sorry to say, but I was really lucky. My business boomed in COVID. Oh. That was still mental to get your head around. Then like my brother's there going, yeah, I, we're fucked. It's yeah. really, it was really, really weird. But it felt cruel actually watching it for people in hospitality. But oddly, once, because I'd come to terms with that during lockdown and thought, whatever happens, happens. It actually, when we did start back up again, it made me really enjoy the job again more than I did it before we went into lockdown. It made me kind mm-hmm. of appreciate what we had. And so actually, weirdly, there was some positives to come out of it. And that once we battled through and got them all reopened, it kind of reminded me why we did it. And it was all about, we like getting people together. That's what the club night was right back in the beginning. I like 
seeing people happy in a place that kind of I've had a hand in creating that's that's the buzz that's the actual reason you do it which is really easy to forget when you're managing people and you're trying to finance yeah. like the thing that returns and you know yeah. like oh god like yeah yeah it's the remembering the actual reason you did it which I maybe I hadn't even thought about for five years because it was so bogged down in you know the detail admin. what do you think is your kind of within your personality trait that maybe is a something that you didn't realize would be good to be a business owner like that is helpful towards what you do in real life is is maybe not a great characteristic but I'm quite belligerent in terms Mm -hmm. of if I decide I'm going to do something I don't even really listen to reason which in in real life is a dreadful trait but in business it's quite useful you know I I think you have to be forceful right you've got to have had that in you to be pretty determined because otherwise it'd be much easier not to do it yep take a job the other thing as well is it's quite nihilistic this and almost i mean maybe semi-worryingly sociopathic but and <laughs> i never worried about worst case scenario mm. did not and some of this is privilege as well and I've, as i've got older and become a little bit more kind of uh, looked at myself a little bit more and kind of not as young and kind of arrogant i guess i had a really lovely stable mum and dad and I knew, I just knew, we didn't have much growing up, but we had a really loving family. And I just knew that if it all fell to pieces and I went bankrupt and I didn't have a bean, I'd just go and like knock on my mum and dad's door. And I knew that they'd be like, oh God, all right, come on. You know, like mm. I'd just be back in a single bed in a spare room, which is not that bad. Like, yeah, yeah. In terms of, especially when you put it on like a global scale, we live in a country where like generally, your worst case scenario isn't that bad, you know. And mm. I think people can be really risk averse. A lot of people are, and I, and I totally understand it. But I just knew that I had this kind of backing of a nice mum and dad to fall back on, and I knew they wouldn't judge me for it. If you get what I mean, I didn't feel mm. any pressure from them, like any, ever. Really, I never really remember being asked. Never really got asked if I'd done my own work, which is probably bad parenting looking back. No, you know, and it's and it's really different now because there's loads of repercussions if they haven't done their homework, and it's all comes through on these forms and stuff. And you're yeah. like, oh god, my mum and dad. I mean, they had no idea. I don't know that they even really knew what I did at uni or anything. No, <laughs> like, I haven't had it. Just, they didn't help me. They didn't like now. People like coach their kids through what level, what courses they're going to do, and what yeah. what jobs will that lead to, and it's like. Uh, I did history and you did biology. I don't think either of them are particularly helpful <laughs> what we're doing now. Not exactly vocational degrees there, guys. No, no. <laughs> but it just seemed like a good idea. That's what you do. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's starting out now? The thing that took me a long a long time to learn, and it was I only really got to grips with it once we had more than one or two places, was you have to be able to delegate and... Mm. The biggest thing is find people who can do the things you are bad at and admit the things that you are bad at, right? Mm. So I am awful at accounts. So I've got Janine, who's been my accountant since I was 20, early 20s, straight away, who is basically the reason I own a house, I think. like she, <laughs> If it wasn't for her, I think I'd just live on a settee above one of the pubs or something like right if it wasn't for her the, the, the festival wouldn't run she like used to she used to she still does actually even though i sold it she runs the ticket office because she's like militant she's like right no one's getting a freebie and, she, and also she's incredibly like everyone's terrified of her even though she's lovely mm. if you get if you get told off by janine it's it's really bad like i've seen like <laughs> mid, like 40 year old men like go oh no 
I don't want to go in. No, I can't go in office. Janine's going to tell me off. Like really <laughs> successful old blokes, basically petrified of this accountant. It's brilliant. I love it. She sounds good. She's yeah. So everyone, everyone needs a Janine. Yep. And like the biggest lesson that you've learned so far. Um, I think maybe coming back to that COVID thing is it's really easy to let what your job is define who you are. For years and years, I was like the guy who did tram lines or, you know, the guy who was friends with everyone in the bars and all that. And taking that break during COVID was really good. I started like doing things I've not done for years, like painting, just not done it. And actually, I think coming out of it, I've been a little bit more able to kind of walk away and shut the laptop at a reasonable reasonable hour of a day. And, and I guess it's knowing when to let go and knowing when to kind of take a break. I think that's probably the lesson I wish I'd have learned a bit earlier. And the delegating things that you said earlier is key because otherwise you are just going to have to do every, I've, I think I know a lot of business owners who are kind of almost holding themselves back by doing everything themselves. Yeah. And I definitely did it at the beginning because you don't want to give up. It's like, well, they won't be able to do it the way that I can do it. It's like, well, but they are, they will, they, they will. And they'll probably come at it differently and better <laughs> I also think that comes down and we we were definitely guilty of this I was definitely you know like oh people won't be able to do that as well as me or mm. even things like one bit I was running the social media for all six places like what are you doing you idiot oh no you know, like, just, yeah so if I'm not at work I'm just sat on my phone like yeah just stupid you know well they won't get the message and like shut up of course they can and also it's about training isn't it that that's still on you in that like yeah if you think someone can't do it as good as you, then teach them how to do it as good as you. And what is next for you? So you've got six bars at the moment? Yeah, the brewery's just just started. So we've just got the beer back out in the, to the world. That's Kellam Island Brewery. And then the next kind of bricks and mortar thing is a place called Leah's Yard in Sheffield, which is by far the kind of biggest thing I've been involved in. It's an old Victorian master's workshop. It's got 42 different rooms in it. And the, God. yeah, and the ground floor. I <laughs> know, oh God, what am I doing? Uh, the ground floor. The ground floor is going to be like eleven boutique retail cafe bar units, and then twenty nice. workspaces above for things like podcast studios and design studios. And so it's a really big kind of all singing and all dancing cool. thing in a Grade Two listed building, which has caused complications. Yeah. So I was sat in. It's about six months ago. I was sat in front of like 12 councillors convincing them that they, sh- they should let us do it. And it only won the vote seven <clears throat> to four, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's all it's all experiential stuff now. Mm-hmm. So recently, the John Lewis store in Sheffield closed because that department store model is basically broken. And there was a real kind of outpouring of grief. But I think cities should use it as an opportunity for people who want to be more mindful about certain purchases or have an experience or buy something individualistic that they can't get online that's what you need to shape your city centers around yeah and i think breaking up some of these bigger units into smaller units and i think that's going to be the interesting next sort of 20 30 years on high streets i think well good luck Thank you to James for being brilliant and he just seemed very laid back for someone juggling six or possibly more businesses. Um, I love what he said about knowing he'd be okay if it all went wrong. When I started Don't Buy Her Flowers, I remember people saying, what if it doesn't work? And as well as the safety of privilege that James mentioned, I just knew 
that I'd learned so much even in those first few months that I figured whatever happened, I'd be more employable in the long run. I think you can think if a business ends that it's completely failed, but it's not the end of the story. Maybe it just is part of the learning that everyone needs to go through for that next thing. Um, also, thank you to Natural Matt for sponsoring this episode. If you head to naturalmat.co.uk, you can get more information. And we have got a brilliant giveaway with Spa Breaks. Founder Abby was on a couple of episodes back if you want to go back and listen to that. And we have two 250spabreaks.com vouchers to go with two Don't Buy Her Flowers recovery hampers of gorgeous products to relax with. Just sign up to the Don't Buy Her Flowers newsletter. I've put a link in the notes to this episode or find it on our social media by 11.59pm on Friday the 11th of November. If you're already signed up to our newsletter, you don't need to do anything and you'll be automatically entered. We have another business episode coming tomorrow, so come back for that and please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.